0: Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 145, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. This week, relationships, 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 how and why educators are holding parades for their students. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, we may not be in the classroom, but our guest will explain how the census could impact your class over the next decade. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by the morale boosting principal, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing?
1: I'm actually rather pumped today.
0: Are you? See, now I was I was talking you up. I was like, you know, you're the morale boosting. You're pumped up, but but your your voice sounds a little lower key right now. I was going off of a picture I saw yesterday, or maybe it was the day before yesterday, of this parade that you guys did for it your was students yesterday,
1: and I am still beaming about it.
0: Tell me about it. I mean, that that's really cool. Well, first off, before we even jump in there, let's just get anyone listening up to date, just in case we don't know when you're tuning in. Today is March 2nd. We are on week, I guess you would call it three of the COVID-19 shutdown. Of course, we've been tracking this for a couple months, but the actual shutdown where schools have just basically across the nation closed, we're in the third week of that. So yes, please go ahead with this uh, parade that you guys did. Tell me about it.
1: Well, you know, we um, are doing meal delivery for our students instead of the grab-and-go option. And last week, as I was meeting with my counselor, we just came up with a great idea to get our teachers, um, you know, out of the house a little bit, get them to be a part of the process. And so we followed one bus On yesterday that actually had to run two different routes Mm -hmm. and we had signs on our vehicles and we were honking our horns and when the students realized um, their teachers were in those cars oh it just melted my heart they were so excited jumping up and down and waving as we went you know in and out of neighborhoods delivering the meals behind the buses and it was just wonderful to see. And the parents were so grateful. And, you know, we were shouting, we love you. And we miss you. And mm-hmm. I heard parents saying back, you know, we love you too. This is so sweet of you. And just, they were just so grateful because we put smiles on little ones faces. And, um, when we were finished. I think we just, we felt like we were some type of, a uh, healing power, uh, right. you know, lack of a way to say it, um, just to, you know, a small section of the community, our intent was to continue our parades next week and follow different routes each time we had a meal delivery. Um, But as we're going to get into our governor's um, new decisions. We've had to uh, make changes to that, right? But I and, still feel good
0: about it. Yeah, and you're talking about um, Mississippi, where we're located. The governor is starting the uh, shelter-in-place lockdown Friday. We're late in the list of states to to actually put that in place. Now, the actual parade itself. There's a few different angles I want to take on this. One is, I mean, what do you think the best thing about it was? That you were establishing some sense of normalcy and like connecting with your students again.
1: One of the most important things that I always remind you about when we talk about students and teachers and school culture is relationships. That was a relationship booster because they know the buses have been coming and delivering meals. They're seeing bus drivers. They're seeing a few staff members who are part of the meal delivery process. And they've seen me, but to see their homeroom teachers and to read the signs that says, you know, stay home and stay safe. And, you know, just, there were some wonderful messages, um, written by the teachers. And I think just the biggest thing was strengthening relationships and making sure they know that we're still here for you.
0: Okay, so let's talk about the logistics of pulling off a parade, because there may be a lot of districts around the country who want to do the same thing. I mean, what did you learn? What was the safe way to go about doing this?
1: Well, we knew that our meal delivery was going to begin um, around 10 a.m., so we asked teachers to pull up in the gym parking lot about 10 minutes before that. No one um, was allowed to get out of their car. We made it very clear that everyone stays in their car, so if their families were with them or whatnot, um, you know, they would stay safe and no one would interact with with each other. And what we saw as we were waiting as the meals were being uh, loaded on the buses, we saw teachers um, standing up through their... Moon roofs of their vehicles, mm-hmm. just, you know, laughing. We could hear them laughing and talking to one another at safe dis- distances. I think it, you know, soothed their minds and hearts to see their colleagues and know that everyone was okay. And they stayed away from the building. The gym parking lot is on the other side of the campus. And they were lined up parade style, just waiting. And as the bus that we were going to follow um, took off, then one by one, they got behind the bus and, You know, we went through the neighborhoods just honking the horn. And I think what we learned the most is that we can't really make any mistakes right now um, in regard to trying to support students. So anything that we can do that's safe and healthy and within our governor's guidelines, then we're going to try it.
0: And I guess, did I hear you right? Some teachers almost made it a family affair, like maybe they had spouses drive the vehicle for them so they could wave? Is that?
1: Absolutely. Like, for instance, um, I won't say any teachers' names, but our EL specialist, he, um, he had his wife and his sweet child. They were in the back seat, and he wanted to participate, and the family wanted to be a part of it. So they were all in the car together, windows up, but he was honking his horn, and we could see him waving his hand, and we could see his smile. And, you know, I saw his wife and I waved at her too. And it just made my heart so happy.
0: As you mentioned, you guys were delivering meals last week. We talked a lot about this. That was kind of last week was your first week really doing the meal delivery a uh, week before that was spring break. Yes, um, has meal delivery gotten easier at all this week?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, obviously, as I shared in our last episode, you know, we reflected and looked at our process to see what changes we could make to make it a little bit more efficient, um, to ensure that our buses were leaving on time, but even more so making sure that we were providing the right amount of items, meal items for our students. Um, And so absolutely, when we started meal delivery this week on Monday, it went much quicker. We were much more prepared and we had a better system in place. Um, Key personnel, in place to do the meal delivery and making sure that we all you know, follow the social distancing rules in order to um, still deliver meals to our students, as well as um, our academic um, enhancement packets.
0: I saw on um, Twitter, the, some teachers are being referred to as hunger heroes. Have you heard this yet?
1: No, I mean,
0: that's really what's happening, though, in a lot of ways, you guys are delivering food. And it's such a it's such an important thing. You said you were delivering packets as well. So yes. let's dive into the academic side of things a little bit. How have things improved there? And what have you seen working kind of amidst your teachers so far?
1: Before I jump into that, I do want to say that in the governor's executive order, and I can't tell you which page it is, but he did clarify that providing meals for students is considered essential if anybody was wondering about that. So, um, you know, you may find some districts decide to stop doing that, but many districts are not going to stop the meal delivery. They may change the process again to eliminate, um, you know, the number of people helping how the preparation will take place, but they are considering it essential in regard to our academic packets. Again, we talked about the digital divide um, still being an issue. And so we are addressing every grade level and every content area. And we are giving students and parents the option of continuing their schooling at home um, online. But we are also making sure that we have hard copies. And so we're putting something in their hands um, during meal delivery. So they have two options.
0: Okay, so on that academic side, I mean, what are you finding your students... Like, how are they consuming this information? Are they getting stuff online or are they doing it in the physical? Is it 50-50? What are you saying?
1: I think we have a few that's accessing the information online. We started Chromebook pickup this week. So we knew for a fact that we had 68 parents we were able to communicate with that wanted to um, pick up Chromebooks for their students. They felt that they either had internet access or they were going to use our free public access that we are providing on our different campuses. And they would, you know, they didn't mind bringing their Child, I'm um, on campus either in the evenings or in the morning in the parking lot for them to access Wi-Fi, or they had it at home. So we we passed out um, a number of Chromebooks this week as well, um, because we have some web-based resources that we use regularly throughout the year. That you know, a few parents said, "Hey, I want my child to still have access to that." But again, those that you know don't have access, it didn't matter. We made sure we had hard copies, too, um, because often you know our parents, they're not as educated as we are, and they may not know how to help their child um, with the web-based resources. So we wanted to put something in their hand that had clear instructions and examples and things that they could literally sit down and, and work with their child on.
0: As a principal, I imagine you're going through some lesson plans. Are you having to, to rein your teachers in a little bit and say, all uh, right. It doesn't need to be this complex, or are you having to push them to do more?
1: I will say, um, last week the preparation for the packet that went out this week, there was a little cutback that I had to do here and there, um, depending on the subjects, because you get in once you get into secondary, you know, um, const- content-specific teachers. Um, just really think about their subject area when you start thinking about 7th through 12th grade. And so, um, you know, we broke them down into smaller teams to create their subject area assignments. And then we were compiling them to be one academic assignment for a particular week. And so I did see a little bit too much, maybe here in science or a little bit there in social studies. And we had to, you know, help the teachers understand that we don't want to overwhelm our parents or our students. And so kind of cut back a little bit, but I'm pretty proud that They are extremely flexible. They understand this is a learning process. And we have since had our collaborative sessions and developed our next academic packet that um, is actually going to go out on the 8th. And I didn't have to cut back on anything. And, in fact, they're getting in their groove of this distance learning and how to make sure they're providing appropriate amounts and rigorous amounts of of work for for students. So I'm pretty proud of our teachers. And
0: and so when you say, like, getting in the groove, I mean, is there any – do you have any tips or did you see anything that's like okay this is this is working and we need to do more of this in terms of the load and the amount of work handing out? I,
1: I think for the most part it's constant encouragement for the teachers. We've never done this before and we can't get together in a classroom with all of our resources and plan together like we normally do in our weekly PLCs. So whether you're on the phone, you're on Zoom, whatever you're doing, you're, you're working with teachers all across the district that are in your same grade and or content area and your ideas have to, you know, come across um, in a clear way and everybody's having to, you know, kind of step back a little bit and or step up a little bit. It's just, it's role changing in my opinion, mm-hmm. but I think everyone has a heart for what's best for our students specifically. I can only speak about the students in our district. And so I just have to praise our teachers on really getting to know new teachers that they don't work with every day and learning how to plan and collaborate with them. I mean, but that's what we do as educators, right? That's what we do.
0: Well, I I talked to, um, one student who's a freshman and he was telling me that, um, He was kind of giving me examples. He says, I have one teacher that, you know, has been giving us all the work, like in terms of in a written format, and Mm -hmm. um, she's giving us her PowerPoint presentation. But unfortunately, she's not like they're not getting it the way she would deliver it in class so he's like i just have bullet points so i have to like kind of do a lot more digging and figure things out he says i have another teacher who is giving us all the work through you know i think they're using the google uh platform and Mm -hmm. he says but she's also recording videos and he really likes that like are you seeing your teachers i guess you know in a lot of cases you're not all digital like some districts may be but are teachers doing videos and stuff like that
1: they certainly are, and it, again, it depends on your area and what your student population needs, but um I shared with you on our last episode that I was assigned seventh and eighth grade for our entire district, for right. our academic distribution. And we definitely have teachers that are recording um, themselves. They're using Screencast, They're using Zoom with their students. Some of them are doing Facebook live where they're just posting many lessons for anyone who wants to be able to, to view it. And of course they're using Google classroom and students have access to that where their teachers are providing them, but you there's, you cannot replace a highly skilled Teacher, no, you, you just can't.
0: can't. No, tell me what you think about this. And this article was just shared uh, amongst some colleagues of mine, and it was um, dated yesterday. But it says Alabama high schools begin declaring seniors are now graduates. So it sounds like they're on the path. If these students are in good standing. They're going to go ahead and graduate those students. What are your thoughts on that? Is that just a reality now? Remember.
1: Well, now you have to remember that Alabama has also declared the the remainder of the school year it's that over. the schools will, will stay closed. Right. So if the schools are closed, they have verified grades up until the end of their very last term. And so they use that data to determine um, who is going to graduate, who is going to be promoted to the next grade, et cetera. So I don't really see anything wrong with it. I mean, it's unfortunate for the class of 2020 that a lot of the events and activities that surround your graduation right. year – have been canceled. So why not declare it that, that, that pumps their esteem up, make them feel good. Um, something else that you may have seen online is that now our senior parents are decorating their front doors and their porches with school colors and mascots. Wow, I had not
0: seen that. That's really oh. awesome.
1: Absolutely. And that's their way of declaring, hey, my child is a graduate. We need to do whatever we can do
0: to make sure our students,
1: um, you know, feel good about themselves and about what has happened right now, because it's not their fault. And as parents and as educators and as just citizens... There's absolutely nothing we can do about it. So let's make the best of this. Let's celebrate in our neighborhoods and decorate all of our doors. I
0: I love your attitude and tone about it. Are you getting the same positive attitude from the other side, from parents and from students? I mean, are you getting any pushback about what's happening or does everyone seem to understand the situation we're in?
1: I have to say from my experience, I think all of our parents understand that this is out of our hands and that we're doing the absolute best that we can. I think with the teacher parade and the constant communication and the uh, packets in hand, as well as offering Chromebook um, assignments and doing work online and the meal delivery, just everything that we're doing to try to keep things as, you know, consistent and normal as possible for students. I think parents completely understand and are very grateful. At the same time, I think that they they miss their children having a routine mm-hmm. and that structure of going to school every day. And depending on the parent, it impacts them differently. If you are a parent that is an essential worker, such as myself, mm-hmm. and you have to report every day, you're trying to manage children at home And be an essential worker. And if you're not an essential worker, but you are working from home, you're trying to balance that and your children as well. So, you know, I just think everyone is showing their best right now. And that's just my opinion. I think that everybody is trying to support one another and be understanding. And I see kindness growing. We've been talking about be kind mm-hmm. for some time now, but I just feel like that's really going to be one of the, the, the most positive things that comes from this situation is how we care about our fellow citizens and neighbors.
0: With our state about to go into a shelter in place, like you said, you're an essential worker. I mean, what, is, what does your week look like next week? Is anything changing?
1: Um, I I will I'll give you a little bit of information because our superintendent has informed um, school administrators of a few changes that we're going to make, but we have not addressed it with the entire district yet. So I'll have to be on pause with that. But I will say currently we have operated out of our office offices Monday through Friday. Hours of operation being 8 to 12, meaning that's when we'll answer the phone. Uh, administrators have been in the building as long as it takes to prepare all academic packets because the teachers are not there to actually run the copies, count them out, distribute them, you know, put them in, in packs according to the bus routes. Uh, we're also there until every child receives a meal on meal delivery days. And so that is going to change. Once the shelter in place starts on Friday, mm-hmm. and so we look forward to being guided in that direction next week by our superintendent. There are going to be some employees that will be, you know, asked to go ahead and stay home. They won't be deemed as essential. I will tell you, principals and bookkeepers will continue to be um, essential workers. One, because bookkeepers need to make sure payroll continues um, as we are still paying teachers and all school staff. But principals, making sure that. Um, all tasks that are required.
0: How is Christina doing?
1: Christina is up and down, but I'm telling you after the teacher parade yesterday, I was exhausted, but I just tears came to my eyes, just watching the teachers faces light up and watching students get excited as they, you know, we're watching the parade go by and recognizing who was in each car. And it's just overwhelmingly made me so happy. And so Christina is doing very well, as long as I can ensure that my students are doing well.
0: I- I'm going to tease this a little bit, because I-, I don't want to get ahead of you. And you just tell me to be quiet if I need to be. But you've got something else going on. Before all of this started, um, you had made the decision. You're, you're switching districts next year.
1: And, I am switching districts. And so
0: you, I guess probably we haven't really t- been down this rabbit hole yet but you've been probably working for almost two districts kind of am I am I wrong to say that? No, you're absolutely <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I am 150% committed to my students and to my school district that I'm currently contracted with. They are my first priority. But again, I shared with you after the Christmas holiday, generally, administrators are already making decisions and planning um, for the next school year. And so at the same time, while I am handling this crisis and serving my school community, I'm also making preparations for the next school year and
0: within my new district. And you're recording a podcast. So we appreciate your time and, <laughs> and we'll definitely have to dive deeper into that, making that transition. And, and of course, with all of this going on as well, I mean, it's just an extra layer there. Um, Christina, it
1: is, but I'm grateful.
0: Yeah. And we are we are grateful for you and we're glad you're doing well. Hang in there. Um, if you don't mind, we're going to share some of your pictures uh, on our post uh, and in our show notes uh, of you and, and your, your colleagues in the parade. Um, and so thanks again, Christina. Are you ready for the uh, bright idea? Bring it on. Full disclosure, today's Brad Idea was recorded on March the tenth, which was a few days before schools around the nation closed. The interview is an important topic with a spokesperson of the Census Bureau. Uh, The ongoing census actually can have a major impact on your school district, and that's what we're talking about today. However, I wanted you, the listener, to be aware of the context of the interview. We have two guests in today's Brad Ideas segment this week. Victoria Glazier is a Statistics in Schools chief with the U.S. Census Bureau, and Lim Wheels teaches U.S. government and history at Diamond High School in Anchorage, Alaska. They are here to discuss the Census Bureau Statistics in Schools program and why it's so important to get a proper count in the upcoming census for 2020. Victoria and Lim, welcome to Class Dismissed.
2: Thank you. Uh, Thank you for
0: having us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Victoria, I'd like to start with you on some broad questions about the census. Um, We are recording this in March, but the official start date is April 1st, correct?
3: So actually, households will start to receive their invitation to respond beginning March
0: 12th. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. And so what's different this time around? Have you always been able to do it online? Can you do it by phone? Is it in person? Like, how does this take place, this, this go around? So this is
3: the first time that we've offered it online. We are hoping that that makes it easier and more accessible for people. You know, if you're busy and you're shopping or waiting for your kids, you can just take out your phone and respond. So everyone should be looking to their mailbox to get that postcard pretty much between March 12th and 20th.
0: And I guess the way it works, and I guess a lot of people may not even remember or they may have not been old enough to pay attention um, if they're listening to this now. I mean, if if they don't respond, you start to send people door to door. Is that is that mainly the way the process works?
3: So, so for the most part, the process works. They'll get that postcard, that initial come fill out your census. And then if we don't hear from you in another week or two, you'll get a reminder letter. If you still haven't responded, you may get another reminder letter, and then you may get a questionnaire saying, okay, maybe and you don't want to fill it out online. Here's a questionnaire. And then after those few reminders, they're, they're going to send out uh, census takers to knock on your door.
0: Okay. So let's talk about, this is, of course, an education, K-12 education podcast. Why does the census matter? Why are we even talking about this on this show? Like it, It's very impactful for schools, right?
3: Yes, it is. It is. And a lot of people aren't... Aware, You know, you don't remember because it's once every 10 years. So I always say representation and funding are are the two important things. So hundreds of billions of dollars in funding will be allocated based on these census responses. And that will show you like where the roads go, where the hospital goes, funding for programs like Medicaid and Head Start. And specifically in the school world, uh, we worked with teachers to create our activities, and a lot of them were not aware that it goes towards special education, free and reduced lunch, class size, technology, teacher training. It's really a long list that will be impacted on if we do or don't get an accurate count in your community.
0: I mean, is it, is it a problem? I mean, it almost seems weird to me. I've always filled out my census, and I've never thought twice about it. But there's lots of people who are reluctant to do it. Am I, am I wrong about that?
3: Yeah, there definitely are people that that have a fear, um, you know. But we're we're making this huge effort to say that it, it's safe, and and we protect your answers. We've taken oaths that nothing will be shared, um, you know. And then there's the groups, like we call the the young and mobile, you know, those early twenties that are living on their own. That just may be less apt to respond for whatever reason. And then we're really trying to let people know that the largest group that didn't get counted the last time were those under five. So just the awareness of if that newborn baby or if your aunt's cousin's (laughs) nephew is staying with you, that it's really important to account the kids that are under five so that we, we don't have that same problem.
0: I know there was some back and forth, um, I think it was last year, a, a kind of a political um, question of whether or not they should put citizenship questions on the census. What was the, the final verdict on that? Is that, that a question on the census?
3: So it absolutely will not be on the census. We, we were ready to try to get that accurate census Either way, but the the final decision was that question will not be on the
0: census. Okay, I'm good. Glad we cleared that up. Now um, you okay. are the chief of the Statistics and Schools program, and I didn't even realize this was a thing. Like this is these are resources you offer schools related to the census, correct?
3: Yes, yes. So. For the 2020 census, we actually mailed a packet to every school in the country. And it has a book f- explaining why the census is important, how the schools can integrate th- this program into their school lessons. But we also included these three beautiful large wall maps. That, and and it would t- we have an elementary, a middle, a high school one, and it went to the appropriate schools. But um, just trying to show teachers that statistics doesn't mean high school math, that we have resources for preschoolers. We have like fun facts for elementary kids who are learning about their states. We put out monthly like St. Patrick's Day or just little tidbits to teach about the census. And then it goes all the way into high school, you know, learn about the trends and voting and, and learn about apportionment and why that's important. So there's just an array for all grade levels, and all subjects. There's, there's a little something that everybody could could learn about the census.
0: Yeah, and I think you've teed this up nicely for Lim. Lim, uh, you know, you what what age group do you work with mostly at your school?
2: I have mostly juniors and seniors in high school. So they're, you know, on the cusp of adulthood. Some of them are going to be voting for the first time this year. They're looking around and seeing the world around them. And this is a great kind of real-world opportunity to to see government in action.
0: And so tell me a little bit about the actual Statistics in Schools program. I assume you, you've applied that in some of your either history or government classes you you teach? Yep, definitely. Um,
2: so one of my favorite lessons that I've gotten to do with my students um, is a lesson on, on apportionment. And, uh, you know, we talk a lot about uh, you know, congressional districts and legislative districts and states and what those things look like. And uh, so there's, there's a great lesson about that where students are digging into the actual census data, seeing how many people live in particular districts, comparing the change in population over time, you know, looking at what the census numbers were in 2010 versus the current projected populations um, you know, at, at 2018, I think is the most recent data we were looking at a couple weeks ago. And students can see how people are moving around and recognize how that changes. Resources, how that changes needs, and you know, Victoria talked about all that funding. Um, you know, if populations are shifting, we got to keep up with that and, and make sure we're um, we're reflecting that accurately in our our districts.
0: Yeah, I mean, Alaska's in a lot of ways very similar. We're actually based out of Mississippi, and I know um, I think it was two censuses ago we we lost a representative, uh, and and I'm sure yeah. Alaska that type of representation is is equally as important up there. Um, so. I guess, are you talking in your government class, like, if we don't represent ourselves in the census and say, you know, yes, we're here, we could lose some representation over in Washington, D.C.? Does that discussion happen?
2: Well, unfortunately, Alaska can't lose any, or I guess, fortunately, we can't lose any representation because we only have one oh, how about that? in the House. Right. Um, we'd love to gain some someday, but uh, but funding is something that I talk with my students about, and our state has been in a budget crunch the last couple of years. Um, It's been big news. And so we're talking about the $675 billion in federal funding, and Alaska wants to get its share. um, In the 2010 census, Alaska was the most undercounted population in the whole nation. And so it's really important that we make our population aware. And so I've talked a lot with my students. Actually, had a student who said, yeah, my dad's not going to do the census. There's no way, you know, he doesn't trust the government or, or whatever. But he said, I'm 18. Can I do it? And I said, well, yeah, of course. So he's watching for the postcard when it comes. He's going to take the census for his
0: household. That's really cool, actually, that, that you're seeing young adults, you know, trying to take take action there. Uh, Victoria, this Statistics in Schools program, uh, is this something that's always existed out on the Internet for teachers? It doesn't have to be a census here to do this, does it?
3: So after 2010, we were just an every 10-year program Mm -hmm. to educate about the census. But after 2010, we did become an ongoing program. And and that's the part where I really get excited because I'm like, if you're an English teacher teaching about Kill a Mockingbird, like we can provide you or we do provide you resources showing what was going on in life that time. Like look at the census, look at the demographics and economic information. If you're... A kindergarten teacher, you know, technology. I remember having to go to a parent day and bring in like an old piece of technology. So we show, you know, like how the phones have changed. And, and when people at home started having more cell phones versus, you know, your your plug-in phones and just the amount of data for all different subjects. We will tell you how many amusement parks in your state and, and compare that to other states. So it's it's the evergreen ongoing stuff that I find exciting.
0: Okay, so how can a teacher get access to this type of information? Where do they need to go? So
3: if they census.gov slash schools, and, and it's arranged by subject or grade level or just resources that you're looking for.
0: I think you guys actually had a statistics in schools week, but that's passed, right? That was in early March, correct?
3: Yes, that was last week, but, but teachers can still take part. We We had a theme every day, and it just provided resources, teach about the census today, or this day, teach about the diversity in our country and make a diversity collage. And we we filmed students coming in and learning from some of our experts here and then taking a quiz with the director of the Census Bureau. So that's a virtual field trip that they can participate. Um, There's also our big ask is we have a take-home letter It's available in 13 languages and it it talks about why it's so important to count everyone. And it talks about like if you have a five year old Mm -hmm. in 10 years, that five year old is going to be in high school. So if you look at it that way, like that's so many resources that you're missing out on those 10 years. So we, we would love if everybody could share that take home letter with their students and their families.
0: Um, as a, a classroom discussion, your teachers like to be current and they like to talk about something that's happening now. And, and But the census, I guess, how big is the window? Like we said, you're already starting to send out notifications to folks. Does this go on for months or is this a week's thing?
3: So pretty much it, the, the reminders, the friendly reminders will go on through April and then uh, probably beginning of May, they'll start to knock on your doors. So March and April are are. Our important
0: months. Is there a deadline where the census basically has to have this wrapped up? Like we cannot count any more beyond x date? Does that happen?
3: Yeah, I think we're looking at June, July, you know, we have to um, report the final population numbers to the president by the end of the year. So early summer that that would be your deadline
0: well uh it's really fascinating it's something that's so important to the country as a whole and i definitely think it should be taught in classrooms around the country so uh victoria glazier and Lim wheels i appreciate you both uh, taking time out of out of your day to uh, talk to us about it
3: thank you thank you
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at class or tweet us at Class Dismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well, so please subscribe to the show, and we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week.
1: Class Dismissed! We'll